Maxie Dunham was the president. He was the president there for about 10 years. But early in his ministry, he and his wife, fresh out of seminary, lived in Gulfport, Mississippi. They'd been appointed there to plant a new church, and they were given the salary of $3,600 a year. One day they had to leave home and drive to New Orleans, which is, an, which is probably an hour from Gulfport. They had to visit a parishioner at a hospital. And on his way out of the house, Maxie thought, well, I'm probably going to need some money before I get home. So all he had was four rolls of coins. They were there for another purpose, but he picked them up anyway because he didn't want to be flat broke while he was on the road. He had a roll of dimes, a roll of nickels, and two rolls of pennies, $9.50. And they visited in the hospital, and when they finished, it was mid-afternoon, and they decided they'd stop off in the French Quarter before heading back to Gulfport. And they enjoyed the quaint architecture and the music playing on the corners, and artists displaying their works all around Jackson Square, and they loved all of that. But the memory he never, he said he never could forget was when they decided they were hungry, they needed to eat. And they began reading the menus in the windows of all the restaurants, going from restaurant to restaurant, looking at the menus and discovering the cold heart fact that what they had was not enough for two people to have a meal. Not enough. Haven't we all experienced times when what we had was not enough? Like that crowd. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that five loaves of bread and two fish could feed 5,000. Anybody with any sense knows that's impossible. Am I right? But God, but God, doesn't play according to our version of what's impossible, thanks be to God. We know there have been times when you may have wanted to help someone who was sick or hungry. Maybe you've been hungry. I remember having ketchup sandwiches when I was a new teacher. <laughs> yeah, I see heads nodding. <laughs> Maybe as a student, you might have poured everything you had into an exam or a research project and, and you didn't get the A you hoped for. You just, what you did was your best, but it just wasn't quite enough. Maybe you sang your absolute best or you ran your fastest, you lifted the heaviest weight you could or danced with amazing musicality and still you didn't win the competition. You just didn't have quite enough. That's life in the real world, isn't it? We, we can't all end up at the top of the ranks. We often don't have enough. The good news is that in God, there is always enough. I remember the first death that occurred in my first church appointment. I was not a pre prepared, and I knew for sure I was not enough. And in that certainty, I think I was saved. <laughs> By knowing I was not enough, I had no choice but to turn to God. When we know we are not enough, what can we do but pray? 
we remember those words of we believe and we turn to the one who is always enough for us and trust him. And I did that all the way to the hospital, which I had never visited before. I found the emergency room, and outside that emergency room entrance, I can still picture the crowd of young people who were gathered. You see, I was rushing to the hospital because I'd gotten a message from the nurse in the emergency department that one of my parishioners' grandson had died suddenly, and the grandparents wanted me to come. And she gave me the young man's name. I'd been in ministry maybe a month. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know the grandchildren of my people. The youth group was meeting next door. I ran over there and said, this is the message I've just gotten. Who would the grandparents be? And he told me the names of the grandparents. He was the youth leader, after all. He knew that young man. So I arrived there, and around that door, oh, there might have been 50 young people gathered there, crying, looking just destroyed, anguished. And when I entered the door and I introduced myself to the nurse, she said, please hurry so these people will leave. We can't run an emergency department like this. And I thought, okay, so it's crowded. And I went into the room, you know, the little cubicles in emergency departments, and there were 25 family members, I kid you not, wall-to-wall, corner-to-corner people, standing room only, gathered around this 20-year-old young man. And I had been praying and confessing to God that I was inadequate all the way there, And I realized at that time there was very little I could or should say. I showed up. They they parted, the sea of people parted so I could get up to the head of his uh, bed and I, I just laid my hand on his head and prayed. I don't remember what I prayed. I remember feeling the peace of God and I remember the people thanking me afterwards and then they just quietly left. They just wanted to make sure a representative of Jesus prayed for their son, their brother, their grandson before he was sent to the coroner for an autopsy. I was grateful that I could show up. I was especially grateful that God showed up. Well, how many times do we have a reason why we know when we know beyond a doubt that only God can get us through something. Only God can provide what we need in a moment. And that's really step one, knowing that we're not enough, knowing how badly we need God. Step two is having the faith, the certainty from Bible stories like we've heard today that something impossible can happen. Miracles are those things that, in an earthly sense, are impossible. But with God, I think we have that on the front of our building. With God, there's nothing that's impossible.
This feeding of the multitude is one miracle that appears in all four of the Gospels. And I always say, if it's in all four of the Gospels, God wants to be sure we pay attention to it. In fact, in the book of Mark, he, he retells another story of a feeding of a multitude just a couple chapters later in chapter 8. So maybe this wasn't one-time deal. Maybe this was many times that Jesus did this kind of thing. Now, the one we've heard in chapter 6, of course, they fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. And when they had eaten to their satisfaction, the disciples collected the leftovers in baskets, 12 baskets, overflowing with pieces of bread and fish. And God, knowing that we need repetition sometimes to really learn something, had the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 8. And again, they fed with very little, which turned out to be enough because of Jesus. But it was soon after that second feeding of the multitude that the disciples were in a boat with Jesus. They were traveling somewhere, and then they realized, oh, he's going to be mad at us because we didn't pack a lunch. We forgot to bring enough food and my goodness they looked around there was only one loaf of bread and they thought this is terrible we're traveling in ministry and we have no food now how many times have we thought about the disciples and thought how could they be so silly or unobservant or doubtful their faith had gone for some reason I guess they got hungry and they listened to that instead of their faith and Jesus knew what they were mumbling about, and he confronted them about it. He said, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Don't you yet understand? Are your hearts hardened? What are you doing with your eyes? Can't you see? What are you doing with your ears? Can't you hear? And then he asked the question that must have caused their faces to grow red with embarrassment. This is according to the message. And do you not remember when I broke the loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets of broken pieces did you end up with? They remembered, 12. And then just yesterday, or a few hours ago, we don't know how long it was, we fed 4,000 with seven loaves of bread. How much did you have left over? And they said seven baskets, overflowing. And he didn't respond then to that because it was so obvious that the response the silent response was and you still don't get it you're still worried about do we have enough the question that Jesus is constantly asking us is that one do you not get it with me there is enough now it doesn't mean that there's always enough for what we think we want or what we think we need. There's always enough for what God knows we need. And I believe, I believe it was fine with God for us to wait a couple years to put down flooring in this building. It was okay for us to par pass through some seasons without. And now it's time. We're going to get that flooring. And it's going to be wonderful. And then there are other things that we need to be more effective in ministry. And God is going to provide those too because there's always enough for us to do the will of God. 
That needs to be our focus. The will of God. Jesus wants us to know him so well that we not only recognize a miracle when, we hap- when it happens, but that we expect miracles when we're serving alongside him. That's why we pray to God to break through into our church and into our hearts, into our lives and ministries, into all of our plans. Lord, upset our plans so that we will live according to your perfect will. That's a real good prayer. Throw us for a loop. It's okay. We want to live by your plans, not ours. We need God. The most creative guy in the universe, amen? I mean, what can't he think up? What can't he create a way where there seems no way? He creates perfection out of a mess. He created us out of dust and created us in his image. We need God. We need him to come crashing in with absolutely no limitations. In all of our age rank, age ranges. We need that for the children. We need that for the youth. We need that for the young adults and the middle-aged adults and the older adults. Recently, we talked about how unbelief can actually make it impossible for Jesus to accomplish great miracles. You remember that? I think it was just last week. It was very recent. He was in his hometown, remember, and he said, a prophet is never without honor except in his hometown. There was so much unbelief amongst his neighbors and his family that he laid hands on a few sick people and they were healed, but he couldn't do any of the big miracles he wanted to do. Let's make sure we are not presenting ourselves as obstacles to the power of God, to the miraculous breakthrough power of God. All right. I think, I hope everybody has had a God experience at some point, a divine a divine appointment, a divine interaction at some point. Maybe, maybe your car suddenly hit black ice and you slid into a field and you almost hit a pole, but you didn't. That, that happened to me one time. and I just said, thank you, Jesus. Now, if you don't mind, let, get me out of this field because it was a very muddy field. And I got out of the field and I gave all credit to God. We've all had things like that. It might be just a momentary thing. It might be a great big thing. Like like a couple of months ago, I didn't think Lois Bauman was going to get any better. And I had a conversation with her yesterday. And she was joking. Her speech isn't clear yet. But you, I could see looking in her eyes, she's still in there. And she wanted to tease She's still in there. We have a need. Our church has a need for testimonies to build up our faith in one another, in ourselves. We need a collection of God sightings. We need a collection of divine interactions. And in your bulletin, there was a piece of paper like that one. Where did it go? Did I pick it up? That piece of paper that flew a while ago. There should be one in each bulletin. I am hoping and praying that God will bring to mind some God sightings you've had, recently or not. 
little or big, and you'll write them down. And today when you come forward to take communion, I'm going to put one of the offering plates on that front chair right there, and if you just drop them in there, you may or may not put your name on it. It's up to you. You may or may not feel like ever coming forward and giving that testimony or standing at your seat and testifying to what God has done. But with your permission, I might tell some of those God sightings. Again, with or without your name, it's up to you. Your story, anything God does in our lives, is really intended for the good of others. It helps us, but we're supposed to use that story for the good of others, to build the faith of others. One final thing we must always know about God's provision. It is always in response to prayer. Whether it's Jesus offering thanks over those two fish and five loaves and, you know, praying to the Father, let this be enough, and it was enough. Or an inadequate new pastor praying frantically for guidance to minister to a broken-hearted family. Jesus himself always went off into solitude to pray. He stayed in close touch with the Father. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, right after his baptism. He was in solitude. I'm sure he prayed a lot. Just as Jesus needed to stay close in communion with God the Father, we need to give ourselves times with God. Whether we're resting or active, whether we're driving a tractor, tractor or just walking outside or sitting in the church, whatever we're doing, soak up his presence. Soak up his presence. Just give yourself to him. And he will give himself to you. Let us all ponder this in our hearts, even as we prepare to celebrate Holy Communion at the Lord's table.